Praise God. I, uh, I was going to tell you all that, but thank God your pastor did. Um, <clears throat> I got saved under Pastor Weidinger, and many of you might know Pastor Weidinger. In 1980, I gave my life to Jesus, and he was there in Pueblo pioneering. And uh, so I got to be really good friends with Pastor Simpkins. And three years ago, God called Pastor Simpkins to... Uh, Pueblo, and we were in the middle of pioneering the church and felt like there was a time of transition for my wife and I, um, and so we left our pioneer church and, and began to partner with Pastor Simpkins about uh, three years ago, and so it's been an amazing time. Uh, I've been around some amazing men of God that have put what's in them and me, and so I, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God does not make mistakes. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is intentional in everything that he does. God's not like my 19-year-old who gets up and goes and opens the fridge and just looks at it and looks all in there and then closes the fridge and sits down for 10 minutes and then gets up and goes and opens the fridge. God, Everything that God does is intentional. It's purposeful. It's for his it's, it's for to advance his agenda and his kingdom, amen? And so we have to understand that me being here is intentional by the presence of God. There's no accident that we met in April, but that God brings people into our lives for times and seasons and, and connects people on purpose. And we're gonna look at that today. And I just wanna say, before I start off, go further in the Lord. If you don't hear anything today, hear this. Go further in the Lord. You may be tired, but go further. You may have had some opposition. Anybody ever had some opposition? Go further. You may have had some inconveniences and some setbacks, but go further in the Lord. You may have had haters around you, but go further in the Lord. Because the scripture says this, he that hath begun a good work in you, shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, what I'm saying is God's not done with us. Yeah, amen? I could, I could tell you a whole bunch of sad stories and make you cry <clears throat> because when you start living for God, the devil don't just kick back and say, shucks. He cut, and especially if you're doing something, especially if you are the light and you are the salt of the earth and you're pushing back darkness, the devil does not like that and he will attack you. So God's not through with you yet. He's got a plan and, and God's got an agenda for our lives, our ministries, our churches, our individual uh, families. I'm gonna talk to you here a bit, uh, in a bit about uh, the book of Ruth, and Ruth is one of my favorite stories, not because I have a friend named Ruth, but before I met her, I, I fell in love with the, the book of Ruth, and in the book of Ruth, here's Naomi, an Israelite, called of God, sanctioned of God, a relationship with God, and, and uh, Naomi tries to allow the plight of her past to determine her future. And in frustration, she becomes so full of bitterness and wants to change her name, and God wouldn't let it stick. Anybody remember that story? Her name, Naomi, which means my joy, she wanted to change it to Mara, which means bitterness or sorrow. And we can't let what we go through define who you are. Hmm. 
We can't allow our past to determine our future because neither the past or the present can stop God from being God or, or, or stop God from doing what he says he's going to do. Amen? 1 Samuel chapter 30 is going to be our text this morning. 1 Samuel 30 verses 4 through 8. It says, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Man, I could stop right there and preach. (laughs) But let's go on. And David's two wives, Anohim, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed For the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, the Lord answered him and said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail, recover all. Look at your neighbor and say, pursue. I want to talk this morning for four hours about the pursuit (laughs) of purpose. Hallelujah. The pursuit of purpose. And I think sometimes we're so busy, consumed and preoccupied with our own agenda that we miss and, under, and don't understand that God has an agenda. God is about his purpose. God is about his kingdom. God has a plan for every single one of us. Am I right about it? Understand that God's not in your life to help you pursue your vision but he's called us and ordained us and is in our life to fulfill his vision. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and if so he is, then he has a kingdom. And from the very beginning, we see and begin to understand that God is establishing the kingdom on earth. He first, he first creates man and he says, be fruitful, be multiplied, replenish the earth. And through Adam, God's plan is to establish his kingdom. Satan, who falls from heaven over the dispute of power and the perversion of power, is now seeking an opportunity to set up a sub-kingdom under God's kingdom so that he may reign as a false lord in the earth realm. And one of the reasons the devil hates you is that man has been empowered by God, empowered to rule, and empowered to have dominion. And so he tempts man in the garden with the forbidden fruit. And because it's, the fi- because it's a fight for the kingdom, it's a fight for authority, it's a fight for power, it's about the kingdom. Satan wasn't worried about Adam and Eve. He was fighting for ruling and reigning and the kingdom. He always has been about that. Didn't he think in his mind, I am more powerful than God? He just thought it and God knew and kicked him out. But it's been a fight for the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. So listen to me, church. It's very, very difficult to get this generation to think from a kingdom perspective. 
It's difficult because in our society, in our culture, in America, we're so motivated by individualism. We're, we're so motivated by self-promotion and self-aggrandizement, and we don't think collectively. We think, you know, I need to dress different. I need to stick out in a crowd. You can ever remember there was a, a Dockers commercial many years ago where this band was up on, and they're playing, and they're doing this concert, and the crowd is all dark, and all of a sudden the light just showed on this one person that had Dockers on. Ding. And they're different than everybody else. They all had Levi's or whatever they had on, and this girl had Dockers. And, and it's a picture of how our world wants us to be. We don't think collectively. We don't think as a team. And that's why we don't get where we're trying to go because we don't think collectively. Listen, people who think collectively can always overcome anything. They don't have to have money. The reason we're always thinking about money is because we don't think or we think individually and people that think collectively, they don't have to have any money. I, I, I pastored a church in Oakland, California and I noticed this when I went there, how amazing it was. And so I'm coming from Pueblo, uh, 60% Hispanic. I mean, just uh, a strong Hispanic culture. And I go to Oakland. Oakland has, well, it does have some Spanish culture there, but it's, it's uh, about 60% black, and so it's very influenced and very different than from where I came from. But as I went there, I began to notice the Asian people would come, and there would come 20 of them would come into town, and they'd all live in one house, and they'd get together and collectively buy one house. And they'd all work, and they'd all pitch in, and then they would leave that house to their parents and they would look on that same block to buy another house. And then all the, you know, 18 of them would leave and go into the the other house and and they thought collectively. We would never do that. I'm thinking my kids are 19, get out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Hopefully they don't do that to you. (laughs) I'm just messing. So they come into the country, busted, broke, and disgusted, not even speaking the language, but because they speak, they stick together, within a few years, they rent a two-bedroom house and have 20 people, and within 20 years, they own the whole block because they understood the power of collectivity. You don't, you can't do anything with selfish, divisive people because divisive people are destructive and they're jealous and they're self-aggrandizing and most people you see succeeding and do whatever they can do or if some people see you succeeding they do whatever they can do to destroy you or outdo you uh, I was part of a church for a while and I, be- uh, uh, I became the associate pastor and was on staff and uh, <clears throat> they brought me in on purpose to they had 27 acres and they wanted to um, developed this and they wanted to raise up or build a restaurant in the community that would fund the rest, build in the rest of their vision. And so I, you know, we're in a small community, 160,000 people, and, and it was big news that here I am, I'm building this restaurant, it was called the Live Cafe, and, and the local people loved it, but it was the churches that hated it. How dare they? Who do they think they are? 
in this community building a restaurant. No churches have restaurants. And it was, it was hard. It, it, there was people plotting against us that it wouldn't succeed. Hmm. Yet there was some that understood collectivity and that helped us and that walked with us through that. Our culture don't want us to wait. You can go get credit, get all your furniture, get your car, get your house, get, and every, instead of waiting. When my grandma was 93, Awalita, I called her, she came, moved in with us because um, she couldn't take care of herself anymore. She had zero credit at 93. She didn't have no credit at all because everything she bought, she said, if I want it, I'll save up for it and get it all at once. That's insane. Nobody thinks that way anymore. But yet, she was blessed. And there's some people that understand collectivity in a family would send one of their kids to school and see that they get a college degree and they all pitch in and get the next one, his or her degree. And little by little, they will put something of themselves into it so that their family will be blessed. But selfish people cannot wait. They will try this fad and that fad and they're looking for a get-rich scheme and playing the lotto and, and looking for the easy way out. But we have a God that thinks collectively. He thinks generationally. He thinks in terms of the kingdom, a divine purpose, an overall strategy. See, our God is a, 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 he's a, a, a smart an intellect, a, a, a strategist. See, and it's not enough to know that God's powerful. Because power without strategy is dangerous. It's explosive. It's lethal. I had this friend in high school. His name was Vidal Nieto. And he was the strongest guy I've ever met in my life. Didn't work out. I mean, just cut, rip, big muscles. Strong as could be. And pick up big rocks and just throw them like nothing. Never worked out. But he was so uncoordinated. He would run, trip, boom, and his shoulder is like, I, I. Marcos, help me. <laughs> One time he tried to kick me. We were at church conference. He tried to jump up, throw a kick at me, and then land on the bed. Well, he didn't fall back far enough to land on the bed. And he hit his shoulder. His shoulder flipped him forward, hit his knee, and he was knocked out. His eye was about this big. Power without purpose. It, it wasn't channeled within the course of strategy. It becomes functional and it becomes energy it becomes life-changing and life-giving when power begins to be funneled through purpose it's not enough to know that God has power if he has no plan what good is God being powerful God has a master plan and he's going to work his plan so back to our text I got to lay a foundation of of what happened before David got to Samuel, where we read. Look at the book of Ruth and Naomi. How God is having a kingdom mindset. It's about the kingdom. He's beginning to do some things and move some things in Naomi's life to bring her to a place that he wanted her to be. So that by the time she got back to Bethlehem, she would have with her what she needed to advance the kingdom. And we can see that all that she lost was the things that she didn't need. Now listen, I'm talking to you this morning. This is by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I know some of the things that have gone on here in the past. 
I know some of the history, but God spoke to me this message before I ever knew the history. So I'm telling you, God is speaking to you as individuals this morning and as a body. There's things that God's going to take away from us. Go ahead and grieve over it. Cry about it if you must. But it's not pertaining to your destiny. Had those two sons and that husband been pertaining to, to Naomi's destiny, they would not have died. Death could not have taken them. Cancer could not have killed them. AIDS could not have taken them out. Every now and then, God will move what you don't need so that you can see what you do need. Hmm. And so here is Naomi coming back to Bethlehem saying that she's empty, but she's really carrying the best cargo that she ever could have carried. She has ever carried in her life is in Ruth. Because Ruth is going to be the mother that God uses to connect all the dots in his divine purpose. Ruth meets Boaz. And you know the story that through the union, Boaz and Ruth produce Obed. And Obed comes Jesse. And Jesse comes David. And David comes Jesus. Anything else that Naomi would have done would have been insignificant. What mattered most in in all that's going on is the kingdom. In the plan of the kingdom is that Naomi was sent and her family was sent to Moab to bring back Ruth. If you read the book of Ruth, the whole purpose, all the drama, all the love story, the amazing things that we get out of that handfuls on purpose, the, the, the kinsman redeemer, all the pictures of God moving in the book of Ruth is to get to chapter four and it says, Jesse, Obed was born and Jesse was born and David was born. The whole book of Ruth is God's kingdom and God's agenda in moving things and, and, and moving people around to get to David. So that David would be a picture, of course, of Jesus. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has an agenda. And God is establishing his kingdom and working out his will and his desire. Ruth is a a Moabite, a Gentile. Boaz is a Hebrew. God has always had a plan to bring the Gentiles in. And so God has in David both Gentile and Hebrew blood. When God says about David, I found a man after mine own heart, God is saying that I have found a man who is after my strategy, my thoughts, and my intellect, my heart, my will, the center of my emotions, a man who is about me that fits my purpose, that fits my design, that will work my agenda. It sure wasn't that he was perfect. David wasn't perfect. It wasn't that he was so pure. And and it's not that he was a praiser either. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Away with this message that we teach today that you can do whatever you want to do and that as long as you praise the Lord, everything will be all right. See, it's not about praise in the kingdom, even though praise is powerful, praise is useful, praise is a tool in God's hand, a weapon, but it's about purpose. God's called us to purpose. I see a whole lot of people praising that don't have no purpose. 
I know a lot of hateful people that I outdance anybody in church. Hateful. I know some evil and corrupt people that speak in tongues and fall out on the floor and won't even give you the time of day after church. So it's not just about praise, it's about purpose. See, you can get hooked up to praise and it won't change your life, but you get hooked up to purpose and kingdom agenda and it will move you and it will change you and it will use you. Praise finds its voice and purpose. Praise finds its context and purpose. You cannot praise as a a manipulation in spite of purpose. Praise only fits right when you understand that it's plugged into purpose. Why do we praise? God inhabits the praises of his people. But why do we praise? The devil hates when we praise. In fact, the worst condition and the darker situation that you're in, when you begin to praise God, it blows the devil's mind. Because he thinks, why would they do that? Not just saying it to be saying it, but when you plug praise into purpose, it releases the power that changes the life. And God's moved everything around to produce David. And he has to, uh, and then he has to move David into a position. But David has the right blood and he has the right lineage From him will come Jesus Christ. But the problem is that David is the son of Jesse. And Jesse's out in the field. And how do you get David from out there in the field into the palace? See, that's one of the issues in the church today. Men get saved and they say, how do I get from the ghetto to the platform? And we got all kinds of people doing all kinds of stuff, trying to manipulate everybody to move themselves into a place. But when God's called you into a place, you don't have to kiss up. You don't have to suck up. You don't have to play up. God can bring you from the background to the forefront. If you just do what you're supposed to do, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Doesn't the scripture say promotion comes from the pastor liking you? That's not what it says. It says promotion don't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. When you're looking for God, he's looking for you. So David was on the backside of a desert. Whoa, Jesus. Spinning around. Oh, there's a sheep. I got to pay attention to the sheep. Praising God. Worshiping God. Faithful at being the best shepherd boy he could be. And when God finds someone that he can use, he'll move them no matter where they're at, no matter where they're from. He'll move them from the outside to the inside. And you could have more degrees than a thermometer. But if you, have, if you don't have purpose in your heart, you cannot do what God called you to do. If God can move people, listen to this. If God can move people, God can move things. If God can move things, he can move money. If he can move money, he can move circumstances. If God can move circumstances, he can move situations. Because God can do anything and nothing is too hard for the Lord. If God be for you, who can be against you? We say those things, but we get in the midst of struggle and we forget them. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. 
God is about his purpose. God is about his agenda. So listen, this is what happens. Through an attack, this is, this is one of my main points. <laughs> Through an attack, God promotes David. God brings David from obscurity into notoriety. Through an attack. Through an uncircumcised Philistine named Goliath, God brings David from the shadows into prominence. Why is the word of God given to us? Nothing is by accident. Nothing is random. God wants us to learn. Look at this is how he works. And through an attack, David had purpose on his life. God had moved people, situations, circumstance to get to David. And David was walking in the purpose, in the kingdom agenda of God. And so through an attack, it wasn't through blessing. It wasn't being in the right place at the right time. It wasn't through education. It wasn't through necessarily work on David's part. But it was God's agenda. And God brought an attack to bring him from obscurity to prominence. Let me say this. When God shines his light on you, it will produce heat. Everybody says, I want to be a pastor. No, you don't. <laughs> I want to be a preacher. I want to be an evangelist. I want to... No, you don't. If that's not what God's called you to do, do something else. <laughs> if you can. If you can't, then step into it because it's the best thing that you would ever do. You can't have more light if you can't handle more heat. It's the hot breath coming from a threatening warrior giant named Goliath that produces the light that causes King Saul to notice David in the first place. Because God not only, listen to this, not only does God notice, but people notice how you handle an attack. I've been saved about 40 years. And I've been through a lot of stuff. I've pioneered four churches uh, we're in the process of with Pastor Simpkins taking over a broken church and, and rebuilding that. And I've seen a lot of things happen and a lot of influence and a lot of doors open. Two years ago, my wife of 37 years passed away. She had been diagnosed in 2015 with a brain tumor and she passed away. And, and she's in heaven, she's healed. It's a glorious story that someday maybe I could share with you. <clears throat> but it blew me away because my, myself and my four daughters, God had kept us through that. God had, had secured us through that. And the battle that, that we fought to come through that, I mean, it's not an easy thing to lose your mom. It's not an easy thing to lose your wife. But as we stood through that and gave God glory and, and trusted God and never got bitter against God and, and believed that God's purpose and plan is still intact and it wasn't a surprise to God one day when my wife Kelly showed up in heaven and said, oh my gosh, the devil killed her. What's going on? God, God's more powerful than that. But I've had thousands. At her funeral was 2,000 people. And that was because it was on a Monday. We would have probably had four, five, six thousand if we did it on a Saturday. But I've had thousands of people come up because they saw me in a battle and say, Pastor Mark, I, I was telling Pastor Ernest, I had somebody come and say, we were going to buy um, 
a trailer, a camping trailer, 39 foot camping trailer. We saved up for years, have $20,000 here. Here's $20,000. They had no idea about my bills, my situation, my circumstance. I didn't work for two and a half years. I made more money in two and a half years than I do working a full time job because God, people saw us in the battle. They saw how we fought. Not only was God watching, but people were watching us. When God gets ready to show you off, he will allow somebody to attack you. One voice, have you ever been attacked? Has this church ever been under attack? Hmm. Hmm. Didn't David, look at, look at what God told Satan, Satan came before me, came before him, and, and he said, hey, Satan, you ever considered my servant Job? You ever looked at him? Look how awesome he is. God was bragging about Job, but God allowed Job, Satan, to attack Job, to show him off. How are you going to show power if you're not up under attack? Tony Evans on one side, T.D. Jakes on the other. One voice in the middle. But I can tell you, if we go listen to Tony Evans, he could tell you stories that it always wasn't glorious. He's been through some struggles. If you go listen to T.D. Jakes, he's been up under attacks. He's been through struggle. So you can't look at the finished dish and, and think, oh yeah, that's easy. You have to understand that God has taken everybody through something. And how are you going to show power if you're not up under attack? How are you going to show resistance if something is not trying to pull you over? We got to stop being neutral and we need to stand and resist. So God starts maneuvering David and now the stages are important and, and there's something in this generation or this generation has a hard time doing is that we can't receive a prophecy without trying to make it come to pass. Pastor Ernest, God's going to bless you. God's going to move. God, and then we're already looking. After church, where is it? Read in the scripture, never did it happen the next day. Joseph had a dream, shared it with his brothers. Through all kinds of hardship and, 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 and struggles and, and misunderstandings and, and disasters, God takes him through 39 years to get to the fulfillment of the purpose. It doesn't happen, but our generation, we're looking for it. Samuel told David he was gonna be king, but it didn't mean today. We minimize, listen to this, we minimize great positions because we think they come easy. This is what happened to the prodigal son. You get something that, that, that's yours without it costing you anything. Get something that's yours too soon and it's, and it's not that it wasn't yours. The scripture says that he asked, give unto me the, the portion that's mine or that would fall unto me. It's mine, but timing is everything. Timing is everything. It makes a difference when you're a grown woman to have a baby instead of 13. Same person, but timing. And God takes David through some stages. 
a series of battles. And there's some battles that he needs to fight to move along. And each battle brings you to another level. I thank God for the battles that I've had to fight. See, I look out here and I see, man, there's some beautiful people out here. There's some amazing people in this crowd. And we look around and I see, I literally see greatness. I see potential. I see prestige. I see honor that God has bestowed on you. But we don't know the battles, the stuff that some of us had to get through to get to this stage. See, it's not easy being me. As good looking as I am, as wealthy as I am, as favorable as I am, you don't want to be me because it took a lot of battles for me to be me. It's the things that I had to go through and it's the stuff that I had to fight in me and around me that makes me who I am. It's not what I possess. It's not what I drive. It's not where I live. When you start going through tribulations and trials, material things don't matter anyway. You don't even notice things when you're backed up against a, 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 under the attack of the devil. And the enemy is coming after your children and, or the devil is attacking your health or the enemy is attacking your mind. Who cares about where you live and who cares what you drive or how much money you have? But what does matter is the stuff you had to fight. David didn't say, hey, orale, Saul, let me tell you something. I saw, I'm a member of Prime, Amazon Prime. And check this out, bro, I look at it all the time, man, and I found this little slingamarig. And it was on sale, and I got it. It was the special, and I got it, and it was here in one day. And I got this slingamarig, let me go fight this giant. He didn't say that. He didn't tell him nothing. He said, there's a champion out there. And listen, King Saul, I don't want your armor. I got a testimony. Because one day I was standing watching my, my, my father's sheep and a bear came and tried to get those sheep. And I felt the Holy Ghost come upon me. And so I just started swinging my little garra with the rock in it. Wham! I was like, whoa, thank you, Jesus. And so then a lion came up. And I started feeling the Holy Ghost again. And I said, let's do it again, Lord. Wham! And King Saul probably tripped on him. What? I'm a soldier. You're going to go fight that big? He's a champion. David said, watch this. And he ran. He ran towards him. Hallelujah. I thank God for the things I had to fight. You have to not be neutral. You can't be neutral. You have to choose a side and get into the fight. Because God will move you along through the things you fight. And David had to stop writing poems. And playing those harps and blowing those little flutes. And he had to fight. Touch somebody and say fight. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. That's what you need to do. Quit crying and fight. Here, dry your eyes and fight. The devil's after your mind. He's after your family. He's after your church. He's after your city. And somebody needs to be called to fight. We can't be like the army of Israel up on the, on the hill while the enemy's controlling and yelling and mocking our God. The answer is not big churches. 
The answer is big people. God didn't call us to build big churches. He didn't say, go into all the world and big build, build big churches. He said, go into all the world and make disciples that will tread on serpents, that will cast out devils, that will preach the gospel. And so what is God doing in one voice? He's building big people because you've been through some fights. You've been through some battles. People are looking. People that don't know and people that do know. What are they going to do? How big is their God? Who are they really? Because when you get in a battle, it shows who you really are. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your labor is not in vain. See, what most of the mighty things that came into David's life because of the opposition that he had to face. In other words, he had to earn it. He had to pay his dues. He had to go through some stuff. He had to endure some stuff. People always say, Pastor Mark, you're so anointed, blah, blah, blah. And they, they say these things. Said, you know what? Anointing don't come from just taking a bath or taking a shower or using the right deodorant. Anointing comes through the battles that you fought. You know how I know Jesus? You know how I have an understanding of who God is? I've been through the valley of the shadow of death. I've walked places that I, that I wouldn't wish on anybody. I've been rejected by people that I've loved. I've been persecuted by people that I put my trust in. And yet in those situations, I step back and say, God, I want to honor you in everything that I do. Can I knock them out? I sure can, Lord. And I want to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> day one, on, on David's way to be king, he went to the class, uh, he went to the class uh, um, King in the Kingdom 101. And God says, okay, the first thing you're going to do, David, is fight that big old joker. You ever been in school and they say there's going to be a fight? Everybody gathers around. Ooh, hit him. Come on, fight him. Fight him, knock him out. And sometimes we think in a sermon like this, in a message like this, well, I don't have what it takes to fight. I'm not a David. I'm not a Pastor Ernest. I'm not a Pastor Mark. I'm not those, that kind of person. But that's part of your education, to feel ill-prepared and undersuited, to say, if, if God don't move, I won't be able to do it. I don't have the expertise, Lord. I don't have the money. If you don't help me, I can't get it done. And that's part of the training, that you would understand how to hear God, how to know God, and how not to try to do it yourself. I was sharing with Pastor Ernest, I, God has spoken to me hundreds if not thousands of times to do things, start ministries, move here, go there, talk to this person. And most of the time, I get the word and I was impatient and I say, okay, well, God wants me to start a, 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 a business and here's the little business that I'm starting to do and I'll pay the money for this and I work a little extra and, and I sold this and I got this and here it is, Lord. Okay, I'm waiting for you to move. And God said, I didn't tell you to do that. If David would have started making himself to try and be king, if, if, if Joseph would have just said, you know, knew the interpretation of his dream and went up to Pharaoh and said, hey, Pharaoh, let me in. I'm supposed to be in charge here. <laughs> but that's what we do with God. 
He tells us to do something. He's going to do something. Begins to stir our heart. And we run ahead of him. Woo! Instead of just waiting on him and say, God, you move. God, I don't know what to do. I don't have the money to do this. I'm seeking you, Lord. He could have equipped you differently, but he didn't. He gave you what he gave you so that you could run after the Goliath with the rock and the garra and learn that if God be for you, who could be against you? So there's a series of battles in David's life and the battles bring promotions and every time he cuts off a giant's head and he overcomes an obstacle, he goes through a promotion. Promotions are booby-trapped so that imposters don't get them in the kingdom. About the time that you feel like quitting, you would stand up and praise with purpose. If you would stand up and seek the Lord, if you would say, oh no devil, you're not taking our church down. We're going to fight. We're going to pray. We're coming together. Let's link arms. Come on. Ever seen the Spartans? 300 against thousands because they stood together in that time. Okay, here they come. Get your sword. As they begin to come against them. And then they just, in one, one, in one voice, in unity, begin to push armies that they shouldn't have defeated. And so God's calling us to unity. There's minefields around promotions so that you don't have, if you don't have the tough, never give up tenacity, God-anointed, purpose-driven life, you'll give up and walk away. The, vi- the kingdom of God suffereth violence. And the little sissies get it. <laughs> Those that just slip in the crack and got it. Jesus said, the violent, take it by force. There's a place that God's calling you to as a church because there's attacks against you. There's a strategy of the enemy to take you out. Not because you're not significant. You're not a little <laughs> I won't do it. <laughs> you have to ask your pastor about that. Like the woman with the issue of blood. If I have to crawl to get there, I'm going to crawl to get there. David has killed giants. He's taken out hundreds of foreskins of the Philistines. He's placed them on the floor. They begin to sing about him because David could fight. He stopped singing and he went to fighting. David just got done fighting the Philistines. And anybody know, knows that's been in a fight? Has anybody ever been in a fight here? I've been in hundreds of fights. Every time. I could have been in the best shape. Every time it wears you out. Because your adrenaline just gets so high and, 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 and your emotions and you're in the fight. And then after you're, you're fighting, you're like, whew, that was the longest half hour. Bro, you're only there for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and it wears you out. Sometimes preaching, and maybe you know this, any preachers in the house, if you preach and you're fighting against strongholds and you're preaching and you're pushing against things that are happening, afterwards you're like, whew. I'm exhausted. No matter how tough you are, even if you won, you're tired. It costs to be a winner. He comes home tired. David comes home exhausted, waiting for a joyful reception, but comes into an empty camp. 
each man running to his own tent and coming out saying, they're not here. My family, my wife, my kids are gone. And they've come from the sound of victory and war, from the sounds of chariots to the sound of silence. David begins to smell his house is burned. Where he lived and where his family was is all destroyed. Where they met for fellowship in their camp and it was all burning. Things on fire, women gone, children gone. And men who had been fighting with him and standing alongside him are now looking at him, picking up rocks saying, stinking David. He said, he has the vision. He said, build the church. He said, go preach the gospel. (laughs) And they start getting ready to stone him. So this is the dilemma. David is now discouraged. He lost both his wives. His family is in disarray. His men are grieving. Those that fought with them are ready to fight against him. And it was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know that when you're tough and when you're strong, people think that nothing will break you. But if enough stuff happens over and over and back to back to back to back to back to back, you eventually said, Lord, I, you, you, you just say, Lord, what, what's going on? I can't take this. Has anybody here been pushed to your breaking point? David is at his breaking point. He's at his wit's end. He's frustrated. And he doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't realize that God has set him up. Understand God's about his kingdom. God's about his agenda. And all of this was a setup. Because it's only when all the doors are closed and all people forsake you that you begin to discover what's inside you. And so the Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I remember a time I'd been kicked out of a church, the only church that I'd, that I'd been a part of. They misunderstood some things that I was doing, and so they, they tagged me as a rebel, and they kicked me and my family out. I feel the purpose of God flowing in me. I feel God's call. I'm seeking God's face and and I I stand and I'm broken. Uh, Nobody is standing with me and I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm standing in my bedroom and I'm looking in the mirror and I see a failure. I see what they called me, a rebel, a mess up, a jerk. My, my mom and dad used to call me a failure all the time. And I, I said, yes, I am what they say I am. I really am. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But all of a sudden, the spirit of God came upon me. I mean, it came in the room, and, and I still see me and all the failures and all the things. But inside me, the spirit of God begins to well up. And God begins to speak to me. And I begin to speak into the mirror. I looked myself in the eyes and I just began to just rock a little bit like this. And I began to just speak in tongues and I just said, Lord, I know I'm a failure. I know I'm worthless. I know I am what they say I am. And then I just looked and I said, but you are the head and you are not the tail. And I began to prophesy like Ezekiel over the the valley of dry bones. And I, I, begin, I spoke my name and I said, Mark Grego. 
Thou art above only and not beneath. And something began to change in me. That was an amazing crossroads in my walk with God. And I came to find out who I was. I discovered who I was in that moment. And it didn't make sense before because I'd been saved many years and I'd gone to prayer and I'd preached and I had done things. But when everything was stripped away from me and I stood alone in the presence of God, the real me had to come out. And I was either a failure or I was who God said I was. Who are you gonna choose? You can choose to be a failure. You can quit. You can go somewhere else. You can not go to church. You can go get drunk and party and cruise with the lowriders on Saturday night. (laughs) So God had to pull people away from me and leave me by myself so that I could dig down into the wells of who I was and find out for myself what I'm made of. You're waiting on God to send somebody to you, but God's saying, lift yourself up. David encouraged himself in the Lord. A friend of mine in Africa told me, he lives in Zambia, his name's, uh, oh, what's his name, Billy Mate. He said he started, God started blessing him and giving him money, and his, his country was being destroyed. People were dying. Thousands of people were dying a month because they had no water. And God gave him a revelation that there was water under him. All they had to do was dig. 10 feet below them was water. And he's, he, he's already done probably 200, 300 wells, but it changed his country where all the resources that they had to be successful in life was just a little bit below ground. But they had to dig. It was already there. They just had needed somebody to show up and dig until you discover the vast resources of who Jesus is inside of you. You'll be dying for the lack of water and looking to others. I need a word. I need a prophecy. I need a, a prayer. I need deliverance. When you're standing on a reservoir inside of you, rivers of living water will flow from your innermost being. If you dig and find out who Jesus is inside of you. So let's get to the point of this message. I didn't preach from verse 6, which is where most people preach from. Because it's created a cycle and a pathology of dysfunction in our church. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's not a bad thing until you get hooked on it. I was in a circumstance with the brother, in a conversation, I mean, with the brother at, at a church I went to, and he had had knee surgery, and he didn't want to take none of the pain medicine because he heard all the horror stories of, of getting addicted to pain medicine. And the doctor said, as long as you have pain, you will never get addicted to pain medicine. You get addicted when you take pain medicine when you don't have pain. And God just spoke to me, man, that's the church. We come to church and at a time where we're broken and we're not saved and our families are in disarray, we come and we need healing. We need encouragement. We need God to speak to us. We need God to heal us. And so we take that, but pretty soon God begins to heal us. And we begin to be functional. And we begin to be like the Gadarean demoniac, clothed and in our right mind, thinking right. And, and, and then, but we still come to church. 
Dame, dame, gimme, gimme. That encouragement, I need encouragement. Poo, 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 poo. Give me the encouragement, pastor. I need to be encouraged. And so you get addicted to encouragement. Just like people get addicted to painkillers. The church has got hooked on encouragement. And we come to church to get high. And what you needed at one stage because of the pain you'd been through, you don't need anymore. The pain is over. Quit popping those messages. And we've turned preachers into pushers. Because all we preach is encouragement. We're teaching you. When, if all I preach to you is encouragement, I'm teaching you you're still sick. If all I teach you is about how good God is and how blessed you are, all I'm saying to you is you're still sick. You need to be encouraged. But the devil is a liar. You're loosed. You're free. You're healed. You're whole. You're complete. Touch your neighbor and say, get over it. (laughs) Get over it. Does anybody remember British Petroleum? So British Petroleum had this uh, oil rig out in the middle of the ocean. And so the the problem that British, British Petroleum had down in Mexico is that when you take something that's meant to be energy and waste it, what did give jobs and gives life and opportunities now creates death because its power is not channeled into purpose. It wouldn't have been a problem if it would have been channeled into purpose. But anytime you have something that's just spewing and channeled towards anything that, or not channeled towards anything that's productive, and that what should have given life starts to kill and destroy all that it touches because it's not channeled into purpose. So the church is hooked on encouragement without action. So here's the point. When God encourages us, he encourages us with his purpose to have us move. To have us change. To have us step forward. Why was the anointing coming upon David? Not to look at Goliath and say, ha, 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 I run faster than you. You'll never catch me. he, he, He felt that anointing to go confront that giant. And God doesn't want us to keep telling him we need to be encouraged to do something if we never plan on doing anything. Because if you do, all that encouragement, all that resource, all the anointing that's been putting into you is just spewing out like the Dead Sea, everything's dead. Like British Petroleum, it's just going nowhere. All that resource, oil, just out into the ocean killing everything that it touches. And God told me to tell you that he's already anointed you to destroy the Philistines. He's already anointed you to attack the Amalekites. There are strongholds in this city that the big churches, God bless them, God's moving in them, we need them, but God's called big people to do the work, not big churches. You've got to stop coming to church and pretending to be sick and use the power to go into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from us, amen? There's no need to come to church so you can just go back home and talk about how good the message was, like a junkie. Oh, man, that was good. 
Did you feel that? It doesn't matter who preaches the best message. It, 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 if nobody's going to leave here and do anything, anything different than we did before, the devil is a liar. Because after David was encouraged, empowered, strengthened, God said in our scripture, pursue. He didn't say, okay, David. The devil won this one. See, David knew about fighting. David could kill Philistines. And he asked God, thank God he asked God, God, what do I do? I feel your encouragement. I feel the strength that you're giving me. And God said, move, go after him. I'm telling you, in the midst of where you are at as a church, all the attacks, all the strategies, all the champions that have come against you, all the people that have left, God's word to you is move, pursue, go get, go into the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen. See, Jesus looked, I mean, there's lots of stories like this. Jesus looked at his disciples and everybody left him. He said, are you leaving too? They said, no, you have the words of eternal life. Gideon stood up. Everybody left but 300. They were fighting 120,000. See, God will do it because he wants you to be the winners. He wants you. And so he says, pursue. Pursue with purpose. God has set you in Dallas with kingdom purpose. He's taken things away. Pastor Ernest and Bunny, you're not insignificant. (laughs) You're not a pebble. And in reality, I want you to know when a a military force goes into another country, they'll find a stronghold, a beach, (laughs) that they go and they take over. And God has called you (laughs) together to be a beach. (laughs) But a stronghold And the focus is, on a beach, the waves come, and they leave sand, and the waves go back, and they take sand. But it doesn't affect the beach. The the beach is solid. It's there. It's a force. It's a stronghold. It's a place where you could land, and it's a going and coming. And God sets you as a place for the kingdom of God to go and to come and to be established. I forgot your name, sister. Jesse, Jessica, you guys, I want you to know there, there really is a word for you as a couple to pursue. There's things that, you, that, that have been in your heart that God is opening doors for you for, and it's not an accident. God's agenda is, is, is moving you to a place of influence that will affect this church that will affect this city, that will affect this area, that will break things that need to be broke. And he's saying, pursue. Don't hold back. Don't try to push God, but at the same time, don't hold back. There's gonna be open doors, and I want you to know right now that those are God. Step through them. Say, be looking for them. Let me say it that way. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Brother, would you come on the piano?